This is KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, August 8th. It's 6 p.m., and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendoza. On August 3rd, farm workers, organized by the United Farm Workers, began their 24-day, 335-mile march for voting rights. The California Report has the story. National Native News covers the attack on the Gallup Intertribal Ceremonial Parade in New Mexico and Montana's proposed legislative redistricting maps. We'll close with a commentary by Shelley Covert, the spokesperson for the Nevada City Rancheria Nisanon Tribe. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Los Angeles voters will decide whether they want to require hotels across the city to provide vacant rooms to unhoused people. The city council voted Friday to put the contentious hotel voucher program to the 2024 ballot. This comes as hotels across the state are being phased out of Project Room Key, a federally funded homeless relief program that started during the COVID-19 pandemic. KCRW's Megan Jamerson reports. The proposed program would require hotels to report to the city regularly on how many of their rooms are unoccupied, and the city would pay hotels to give those vacant rooms to unhoused people using prepaid vouchers. While the city of L.A. hopes this voucher program will partly address the growing homeless crisis, those in the hotel industry spoke out in opposition during Friday's city council meeting. Many voiced concerns about hotel guest and worker safety and the effect of the program on business. Stuart Waldman is the president of the Valley Industry and Commerce Association. Hotels did not cause the homeless problem. Hotels are not the solution for the homeless problem. Among the handful of program supporters in attendance was the Hospitality Workers Union Unite Here Local 11. They argued that hotel operators and associations are unfairly biased against unhoused Angelinos, thinking every person is sick and a danger to others. In the end, the city council refused to enact the ordinance directly. Instead, it voted unanimously to send the measure to the ballot, giving voters the final decision in 2024. For the California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson. In other news, a series of wildfires in Humble and Trinity counties in northwestern California has prompted evacuation orders. The Six Rivers Lightning Complex was sparked by lightning on Friday. There are currently eight active fires burning largely within Six Rivers National Park. The fire has burned more than 1,200 acres with zero containment thus far. And finally, farm workers from across the state have joined the March for the Governor's Signature, a 335-mile trek from Kern County to Sacramento to show support for a voting rights bill. Although farm workers say the bill is critical for unionization, some argue that it will not accomplish what it's intended to do. KVPR's Esther Quintanilla has more. Hundreds of Californians gathered at the United Farm Workers' first headquarters in Delano Wednesday morning. They were wearing light layers, sun hats, and lots of sunscreen. They carried signs that said, Support Farm Workers in English and Spanish. Some were marching the whole 24-day route, and others were only joining for a day, like Andres Chavez, the grandson of Cesar Chavez. UFW's co-founder. There's a lot of barriers that stand in the way. When farm workers are looking to organize, there's a lot of coercion, a lot of power and intimidation used against workers. 
At 8 a.m., the group set off to march in support of expanded voting rights. It isn't the first time farm workers have embarked on this route. In 1966, Cesar Chavez led strikers on a similar path to call for better working conditions and higher wages. On the first anniversary of Chavez's death in 1994, marchers took the same route to kick off a new negotiation campaign. Andres Chavez says this traditional march is just another way to honor Cesar Chavez. My grandfather said that if you want to remember him, organize. And today what's happening is we're organizing. That's how we carry on his legacy today. Farm workers are marching in support of the Agricultural Labor Relations Voting Choice Act, Assembly Bill 2183. Assemblymember Mark Stone co-authored it. Well, AB 2183 is really a fairly simple mechanism to give farm workers the opportunity to mail in ballots, vote from home, fill it out, seal the envelope, mail it in. Last year, Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a similar bill, AB 616. In a letter addressed to the state assembly, Newsom said he could not support the bill because of various inconsistencies in its implementation. Multiple chambers of commerce throughout the Central Valley stand in opposition to the bill. They labeled it a job killer, saying it would coerce and misinform farm workers when casting ballots during secret elections. Ian LeMay is the president of the California Fresh Fruit Association. He says the bill actually eliminates farm workers' right to vote and the secret ballot in union elections. He believes there's more effective legislation that should be taken. There's actually a federal example in the National Labor Relations Act that already allows for vote-by-mail balloting in union elections, and that if the governor were to mimic that existing practice, it would be an easy implementation for the ALRB. Despite what critics say, Delano's mayor pro tem, Veronica Vasquez, is certain Newsom will sign AB 2183. It's going to happen. I'm very confident. That's been my mentality. I, I talk things to existence and I'm beyond optimistic because I believe that he'll do the right thing. As Vasquez and the rest of the crowd took off Garces Highway, it was already 80 degrees and it was only going to get hotter throughout the day. They were chanting, we can do it in Spanish, as they walked in single file. Dolores Huerta, one of UFW's co-founders, said marching in the summer is a great sacrifice. She says she wants everyone to send prayers to the marchers, because there's going to be brutal heat. Maria de Ludres Carrillo is a farm worker from Kern County. She's going to march most of the route to Sacramento. She says she's marching for her husband, her sons, and all the farm workers who couldn't make it out. She says they're with her in spirit on the march, and she's supporting them as they continue to work in the fields. The march is expected to end on August 26th on the steps of the state capitol. For the California Report, I'm Esther Quintanilla in Fresno. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system on the web at chcf.org slash health-equity. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry, no sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's the California Report for Monday, August 8th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. According to the Associated Press, on August 5th, a New Mexico man who was driving drunk sped through downtown Gallup through a parade that celebrates Native American culture, injuring at least 15 people. The nighttime parade served as the kickoff event for a 10-day Gallup intertribal ceremonial celebration. On Friday, tribal leaders, along with leaders from the city, met with officials from the state of New Mexico to discuss how to heal the city of Gallup and the surrounding reservation communities. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. In New Mexico, tribal leaders, city leaders, and state officials met Friday to discuss how to work together and heal the city of Gallup and surrounding reservation communities after an act of violence last week tainted the city's annual summer celebration of indigenous culture. On Thursday, a SUV drove through downtown streets during the Gallup Intertribal Ceremonial Night Parade, causing panic as people rushed to find safety. Navajo Nation Council Delegate Amber Kanesbach Crotty was at the parade. She's calling on the city to update its emergency disaster response plan and for the city and state to deploy a crisis response team to help people deal with emotional distress from the traumatic event. Those children who were visibly crying and shaking, those families who were doing the best that they could, our elders who did not have the mobility to move quickly, and as a community, we supported them. And as we walked back, our veterans who were triggered, who were telling us, I'm sorry, I couldn't stop him. And we have to acknowledge that pain. And what does that mean? Crotty says she will not go back to the ceremonial. Other Native leaders at the meeting echoed her sentiment, saying many people do not feel safe and are hesitant to go back to Gallup. The ceremonial will continue with events through August 14th. Gallup is also a spot where people from the Navajo Nation and Zuni Pueblo travel to for essential services. During the more than one-hour meeting, which was held both in person and online, city and state officials vowed to work on responding to the incident and to look at future emergency response plans. New Mexico State Police announced it will have an increased presence at ceremonial events and is encouraging the public to report any concerning activity to police. The driver from the parade incident, Jeff Irving, was arrested and is facing a number of charges, including aggravated DWI. Two passengers were also detained by police. Police say there were no fatalities, but 15 people were injured, including two officers. With new voting maps for Montana's legislature to be revealed soon, Native communities are being encouraged to watch the process closely. Eric Tigadoff has more. Billings-based Western Native Voice wants the Montana Districting and Apportionment Commission to respect tribal sovereignty in this process. One of the commission's goals is to keep communities of interest, such as tribes, intact. Tahim Perez with Western Native Voice says that's important, as well as ensuring that people in the legislature come from these communities. Candidates of choice are from your community and that 
these communities should be able to have the opportunity to elect someone that shares their values and shares who they are and the unique history and the unique cultures of these tribal areas. The commission has scheduled nine public meetings so that Montanans can comment on the maps at the end of August and in September. Perez says Montana has an independent redistricting commission and that it's done a good job of ensuring the legislature is proportionally representative of the population of Native Americans in the state. He says the independent setup of the commission has many upsides, including that it's not beholden to the governor or lawmakers. Perez says voters should be engaged in this process. Representation that reflects communities as they are is important. And the only way that a body like the redistricting commission can do that is through public comment. The deadline for the redistricting plan is the 10th day of the 2023 legislative session. That was Eric Tigadoff and I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This show is supported by the return of FX's Reservation Dogs. This season of the original comedy continues to follow the favorite gang of indigenous teens in rural Oklahoma. FX's Reservation Dogs now streaming only on Hulu. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Locally. A Truckee teenager went missing this weekend after attending a party in Placer County. Kylie Rodney is a 16-year-old white female, about 5 foot 7, 115 pounds, with blonde hair, hazel eyes, and numerous piercings and jewelry, including a nose ring. She was last seen wearing green Dickies pants and a black tank top. Kylie's vehicle is also missing, a 2013 silver Honda CRV with California license plate 8 Y-U-R-127. The Placer County Sheriff's Office says that Kidley Rodney was last seen around 1230 on Saturday the 6th of August at a party attended by approximately 100 kids near the Prosser family campground. In a statement posted on Ubinet.com, the Placer County Sheriff's Office says that detectives are currently following up on leads and that a Falcon 30 helicopter is assisting the Nevada County Sheriff's Office with the search for Kylie. The PCSO Air Operations crew will be flying over Interstate 80 between Donner Summit and the Nevada State Line and will continue searching around the Prosser Lake area. The statement goes on to say that despite the numerous resources being utilized, Kylie and her vehicle are still missing and that the PCSO are currently coordinating with the California Highway Patrol, Truckee Police, the FBI, and the Nevada County Sheriff's Office in the search. Anyone who has any information about Kylie and her whereabouts should call 530-581-6320 and choose option 7. Callers can remain anonymous if they choose. Alternatively, tips can be shared by texting the words Secret Witness 
to the number 775-322-4900. Looking now at regional weather and air quality forecasts, in Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 62. Tomorrow will be mostly sunny with a high near 85. Tuesday night will be clear with a low around 58. The AQI in Grass Valley is currently good with a value of 1 and is expected to stay in the good range tomorrow with a predicted value of 24. In Truckee in the Lake Tahoe area, tonight mostly clear with a low around 51. Tomorrow will bring a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m., otherwise it should be sunny with a high near 77. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 49 degrees. The air quality index in the Truckee region is currently good with a value of 11 and should remain that way. Tomorrow's AQI is forecast to be 20. Finally, for our listeners in Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 61. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 89. Tuesday night should be mostly clear with a low around 59. The AQI in Sacramento is currently 2, which is good, increasing tomorrow to 19, still in the good range. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Rise Grass Valley, a private company that owns the Idaho-Maryland mine, has applied for a proposed conditional use permit and reclamation plan in order to begin prospecting. According to the Los Angeles Times, in an April letter to the county planning department, Frank Lawrence, an attorney for the Nisanon tribe, wrote that the project's draft environmental report did not address the Idaho-Maryland mine's role in causing and perpetuating the genocide against the tribe and its members. The letter was forwarded to Mossman in an email, and he accidentally hit reply all and inadvertently responded to Lawrence. In the letter, Mossman wrote, quote, The county is so naive in trying to assist this group to gain status, end of quote. What follows is a commentary by Shelley Covert, the spokesperson for the Nevada City Rancheria Nisanon tribe. <laughs> Lightem Lily Yapimni Ustama Hedidi. Hi there, my name is Shelley Covert. I'm the spokesperson for the Nevada City Rancheria Nisanon Tribe, as well as the executive director of our nonprofit CHIRP, which is the California Heritage Indigenous Research Project. I thought it would be good to come and share a recent event that happened. In regards to a man named Ben Mossman, who is the CEO of Rise Gold. They are a mining corporation from Canada. And they are the corporation who would like to reopen the defunct Idaho, Maryland mine. You know, people have been asking how the Nisanon feel or what our perspective is around reopening this defunct Gold Rush era mine. And at first I thought maybe somebody was, you know, having fun with me because as you might imagine, the Nisanon and me, myself, we have a very 
biased opinion on that because of the history that happened because of gold mining. And so to think that in 2022, there could even be the consideration to reopen a mine, you know, I really thought it was like somebody was joking with me. But come to find out, you know, the Nisenan tribe has sort of been thrust into the middle of this conversation. And an accidental reply all email communication was sent from Ben Mossman. And he had made this comment, which really, really surprised me. He was quoted as saying, The county is so naive in trying to assist this group to gain status. Welcome to Canada. Need to know a little tiny bit of history and, I guess, social perspective to even untangle that sentence. Most people don't understand what that means. When he's talking about the county, he is talking about Nevada County. When he's saying the county is so naive in trying to assist this group, which is our tribe, Nevada City Rancheria, to gain status. And what he means by that is federal status. And this is because the county of Nevada gave a resolution in support of our federal recognition. And, you know, we have tried very hard to educate about what happened to the Nisenan people. And You know, I sort of take offense at this statement from him because I think that as we educate and come together around this history, we're some very educated folks. We're learning about social justice and truth of history and perspective. And, you know, I felt that was kind of offensive. And I was also shocked to know that he would even mention us. I mean, who are we in this little tiny town? There's a hundred and, you know, 34 Nisanon left in our tribe. And I'm not sure how to unwrap the welcome to Canada piece. Canada is on the forefront of coming into right relations with the Native folks and the horrible things that have been done to them for hundreds of years. And America is just really starting to take these steps in truth and reconciliation. Mr. Mossman, we're not naive. I think you're looking for a naive community to open a mine that could damage our water and our beautiful balance of community here. So I don't think that it's the county who's naive. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That commentary was recorded by Al Stoller. The county is currently reviewing the public's commentary regarding the proposed reopening of the mine, and you can learn more and see the status of the review process by going to nevadacountyca.gov slash immrise. And that's our newscast. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and from underwriters like the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance, a trade association representing the local cannabis industry. 
providing year-round, get-legit permitting and compliance education, emphasizing industry responsibility and environmental stewardship. More information at nccannabisalliance.org. And Milkman Toner Company, providing local, hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great evening, and we'll see you right here tomorrow for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.